Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. By the way, didn't you want to just keep on singing this morning? It's always a bummer. You're like, ah, is that the last one? And so, but thank you. That was, that was terrific. I have a confession for you. The older that I get, the less I like change. I like secure routine. Don't you? I want to know what my week's going to look like. I would like it to be similar to last week. Nothing strange or unusual. Yeah. And then at some point in my life, die in my sleep and it's all over. That's me. But life doesn't work that way, does it? Matter of fact, the spiritual life, the Christian life, is anything but that. Now think about it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there was a time when you were confronted with the gospel, you saw yourself as one who was lost and a rebel before God without hope. And you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. And in one moment, you were forgiven of all your sins, made a child of God, and everything changed. Right? But that was a major change, wasn't it? I mean, your allegiances changed. Your relationship with extended family members changed. Your aspirations at work changed. I mean, it was, it was massive change when you came to faith in Christ, wasn't it? And then it doesn't just stop there. You, you take another step of faith, and God, for reasons that we will only know in light of eternity, allows challenges and trials into our lives. Sometimes they're financial, sometimes they're relational, sometimes they're physical. And our whole world gets kind of turned on its head and we, we try to stay faithful and take the next step, right? And bummer, we find another one. And in the midst of all that, we're supposed to hold on to the promises of a God who we have never seen. Who says it all makes sense one day. And our entire experience is anything but routine. And the Bible calls it the life of faith. What I love is the Bible helps us on that journey in a whole host of ways. And one of the ways it helps us along that journey is to give us examples of people who lived that life. But you know what I love? You don't need to read every one of those points there. It's, 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 it's okay. Let me just explain the graph. It's one of the reasons I love the life of Abraham. 
Do you see, I don't know if you can see in the upper hand, it says faith and doubt and mixed. Do you see that? That mixed is kind of neutral stuff. Neutral living-ish. There's times when we have faith, and that would be the above it, and doubt and fear, and that would be below it. Can you see that Abraham's life is all over the place? Now, it's true. It's true. There's an ultimate trajectory that will move upward. But one of the things I love about Abraham's life is it's us. It's not this. It's that. And we will find hope and perspective as we see a man's life of faith, a man with all warts and all. But that will bring us great hope. And what we want to do today is just kind of introduce that story by looking at just a couple verses that actually begin at the end of chapter 11 and carry us through to chapter 12. Um, Notice this. And again, you don't need to remember all the places. But I want you to think about this. Abraham's journey with God is going to begin way back in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. He's going to have to ultimately travel about a thousand miles up around the Fertile Crescent until he's going to come to Canaan itself. Now, he kind of stops on the way in Haran, fair enough, about a halfway point roughly. But that is a massive journey of faith, isn't it? And you thought it was something when you got relocated with a job. <laughs> I mean, this is, this, is, uh, this is off the charts. And we, we want to kind of track with what he actually went through there and see some of the challenges along the way. And so, so to help us with that, I'm just going to kind of walk through a very simple outline with you. Look at kind of the situation, the background situation with you. Just read it. And, and here's what I want you to do as best we can. It's what I'm going to try to do by God's grace. Let's try to get into his shoes, or better, let, better let's try to get into his sandals. And, 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 and walk that life with him. And at every point, stop and ask yourself, so what would I do at that point? How would I feel at that point? What decisions might I make when I come to that crossroads? And what you will find is Abraham teaches us much about the life of faith because at the end of the day, he's going to teach us much about the God of faith. So the story begins there. Let me, actually, let me start back even in verse 26 where the Bible says, After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Now, now, now look, as I read this, you're going to say, I don't know some of these people. But there's some nuggets in here that are really important. The Bible says, Terah became the father of Abram. Now, I have to be careful, okay, just so you know. His name hasn't been changed to Abraham yet. But I will probably make the mistake and say Abraham today. 
And somebody will come up to me afterwards and say, well, you know, his name was still Abram at that point. I know, sorry, I'll apologize now. I'll try to stay, say Abram all the way through today. I'm sure I'll blow it, okay? God is going to change his name. I get it. He became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. So he, he's the nephew then of, of, Abra, of Abram. <laughs> there you go. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldees, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. He just kind of throws that out there, and you're going like, okay, that's really, really going to be significant in the story. By the time they end up coming into Canaan, Abraham is 75 years old, his wife is about 65 years old, and they have no children. So the writer Moses already kind of throws that in there for us. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. And when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, I have to tell you, there's a variety of question marks as you're reading this story that we don't have all the answers for. And so scholars debate things all the way along here. But one of the things that strikes me as interesting, in this particular passage, when you read in chapter 12, God is going to actually be giving this call to Abram. And the question in chapter 12 is, where is Abram when he gets that call? It sounds like when you read Genesis 12 that it comes when he, while he is there in Haran. But when you read Acts 7, at least a portion of that call is given to Abraham back in Ur of the Chaldees. So my guess is, I think he probably had two calls. An initial one that was a little bit more generic and one that was a bit more detailed. But here is the great strange thing about this call. I mean, if I call you and I say, hey, I, 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 I'm, I'm your boss. I, I own the company where you work. And I call you up and I say, we're transferring you. Get ready. Get packed up. Tell your wife. Tell your kids. You're leaving uh, next month. And you go, okay, great. So where are we going? Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you get there. Well, like, where do you want us to drive? You're going to hop in your car and you're going to start driving. When you get nearby, I'll let you know. Do you like working for me? I mean, that's what you find here. He has this generic call about leaving. And apparently, Tara, his father... And again, it's debated, but it seems like Terah at some point is, is open to following Jehovah too. He says, all right, let's go. And um, ultimately, we can end up in this place called Canaan. And I don't even know if he knew that that was where they were ultimately to go. 
The Bible's not clear on it. It just seemed like a good place to take all your sheep and graze, maybe. But it's out of here, so let's go. So they head to Haran, and when they get to Haran, they probably had relatives there. And they hung, up, hung out there for a while. We don't know how long. But long enough for Abram to get a bunch of people that were work underneath him that he had gathered there before they go to Canaan. It's kind of all we know. So he gets this call to go, and he makes this initial step, and it's a, it's a good initial step. In Haran, then, his father dies, which then opens us up for chapter 12 and verse 1. So notice what it says. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your people. And in the Acts account, that's as much as you get. But in this account, there's one more. And your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will, and, and again, God hasn't shown him that land yet. It, it is as bad as your company calling you up and telling you that. Abram, I want you to go. And Abram was just thinking, well, I guess I'll go south till I hear something different. And that's what he does. He's a herdsman. He has a lot of sheep and goats and all that. He's nomad. That's kind of how he thinks. But God attaches something to this commission. Look at verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now I want to be clear. When Abraham was told to go and respond to God, and God gave him these blessings, these were unique blessings for Abraham, weren't they? I mean, God doesn't tell us the exact same thing. Because God was going to do something in the human race, the human race which has failed repeatedly. There's the fall in Genesis chapter 3. There's the flood in Genesis 6. There's the Tower of Babel in the previous chapter, chapter 11. And it just spells disaster after disaster after disaster. And God goes into a pagan culture like Ur of the Chaldees where there's polytheism and people are believing in all kinds of gods. And he puts his hand on a guy and he says, come and watch what I will do. And God is going to start a process through Abraham in which he's going to work through a nation ultimately with all of its problems. And he's going to give promises and he's going to talk about a seed. And that whole thing is going to keep moving all the way through the Old Testament with failure and promise and failure and promise until the ultimate seed, Jesus Christ, comes. And God is going to, through this one man, a one man who steps out and says, I don't even know where I'm going. But Jehovah said, go, 
<laughs> so I'm going to start going. An entire world has the opportunity of experiencing salvation because of it. Abraham, you don't have any kids. Your wife is barren. She's not able to have kids. But I am going to give you all kinds of descendants. You will be blessed with a posterity. And you're going like, okay. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to go into a land, and at the end of your life, you're going to be there a hundred years. The only thing you'll have to your name is a burial plot. That's it. But I'm going to make you a great nation in a land, all kinds of people. Do you think that took faith? From a guy who, who never fully experienced the outworking of all those promises. But he steps out in faith. He's 75 years old. Now, fair enough, he lives to be 175, so I get it. But still, how would you like to step out and do something like that? With a wife who's barren, where God's making all these promises. And so God says, I will bless you. But Abraham, this is never something that's meant merely for you or for your physical descendants. Because I am developing a plan, and as that plan runs to its fruition, all nations of the world will find blessing because it all moves to Jesus Christ. Do you see? So this promise for him is huge. It goes to him and to his physical descendants. And then by the time you get to Galatians 3, Doug Finkbeiner and everybody in here who knows Christ, we are called the descendants of Abraham because we're connected to Jesus. Do you see? And God says, Abraham, you are going to be not only one who's going to experience my blessing, but you're going to be one who becomes a conduit through which I will bless the world. Wow. That's powerful stuff. And along the way, Abraham, if people bless you, they will be blessed. If they discount you, they will be cursed. You know why? Because what you're doing is my plan. And anybody that gets in the way, and anybody that gets behind and follows, they're in. Now that's unique to Abraham. But it does have some parallels to us, doesn't it? If you know Christ, or if you, if you don't know Christ, this is the story. For those of us who have come to know Christ, there was a time when God said, come. And we came with our questions. We didn't have answers to everything. But we knew he was the answer. And, and we bowed our knee to Christ and we said, I come. So Jesus can look out at a crowd and he can say, if anyone's going to be my disciple, you've got to leave these things and come and follow me. That's, what I, that's, that's the way it works. So our situation is different, but it's similar. 
There was a time when we said, okay, God, I don't fully understand everything, but I know you're the only way. It's all through Christ. And we bow the knee and we say, Christ, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm here. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going, but, but I'm here. And in that moment, God says, you're forgiven. You're given a new name. You're a child of God. You're secure. I will always be with you. All kinds of stuff comes our way, doesn't it? And God says, I want you then to be a conduit through which I continue to do my kingdom work. So we're different than Abraham, but we're similar to Abraham. Do you see? And Abraham, after getting the commission... Abraham obeys. Look what happens in verse 4. It's powerful. So Abraham went just as the Lord had told him. Wouldn't you love to have known what the conversation was like with Sarah before they left? But really, aren't there, there's times when you read the scripture, you're like, I would have loved to have heard that conversation. <laughs> and this is one of them. You're like, okay, honey, pack up, we're going. Where are we going? I'm heading toward Canaan because, you know, Dad had said there was some pretty good land there. and Well, is that, is that where God wants us to go? He hasn't been real specific on it. Well, how far is it? It's about 450 miles. Well, that's going to take us months to get there. Yeah, I know. I know. But I'm figuring he said it, so here we go, and we'll find out. We'll get the thumbs up at some point. What in the world? But he went, and he took Lot with him, probably because he felt responsible for him um, as, 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 as his own. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Folks, in the next chapter, I'm sorry, in two chapters from now, in chapter 14, there's a, there's a time frame when he actually fights. Abraham has to get Lot back, and there's a problem. And the Bible tells us Abraham takes with him 318 fighting men. So now I want you to start thinking the numbers here. By the time he left Haran, he probably is going down to Canaan with roughly 300 fighting men, some of whom are married, some of whom have kids. He probably pulls out of town with a thousand people. How would you like to have the conversation he had with them? Hey, Abram, Abraham, Abram, we're behind you, man. We know that you listen to this Jehovah God, and we're with you. But where are we going? We're heading south. Well, how far south? Don't quite know. We're moving toward Canaan, and we'll see what happens in the process. Would you feel responsible? i got a thousand people now following me as I'm following God who hasn't been explicit yet. Taking a wife who has made a promise of a great nation with my wife who is barren. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't have near as many obstacles as Abraham had. Do you? He had all kinds of things he could have said and, and, and pushed back on. But Abraham believed and stepped out. 
And as Hebrews 11 tells us, as he stepped out, he didn't know where he was going. But he believed. And I love the passage as it, I don't know if you can see this real clear. It's, it's hard to get it. I, the map do everything I wanted to do. But, but so if, if, if you think about it, when he goes up, it's Haran. When he comes down, it's Canaan. It's 400, about 400, 450 miles down, roughly. Um, and, and we don't know exactly how he comes into the area of Canaan. But here's what's interesting to me. The Bible tells us this, and, and, and it brings a little bit more attention. He's just going that direction because it seems to be a good direction. He's heard about it. It's never been there, but here he is. L- listen to what happens in verse, verse 4. Um, well, I'm in chapter 14. That's not going to do me any good. I'm looking at one verse, and I'm like, that is not what verse 4 should be saying. That does not look right. Okay. Um, uh, verse 5, then, he took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they had acquired while being in Haran. So 300 plus, plus their family, all those people. So probably close to 1,000. They set out for the land of Canaan. Why? Because that's where Terah was going to go initially. Sounds like might as well head that direction. And they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah, at Shechem. Now, at one level you read that and you go, that doesn't mean anything to me. But here's what I want you to imagine. Here you are, 75 years of age, with a barren wife, with all these people, not sure exactly where you're going. You come down, you finally end end up in Canaan, and it's like, okay, we got to find some places for our flocks, and I hear the Shechem area might not be too bad. And so they kind of go there and they settle there. And it's not till they are finally there, waiting however long it took them to get there, that they hear this in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Do you see? So finally, Abram realizes Canaan is it. God comes back and reaffirms it to him. But wouldn't you feel squirmish? A little bit nervous? Like I'm heading down and like, uh, you know, God, at some point you're going to have to come through because, you know, hmm, right? And so Abraham's submission is... He trusts God, he steps out, he begins this journey with God, and even as he's journeying with God, it's not real easy. It's still a little bit tenuous. I wish God would be more explicit. Have you ever thought that? Oh, man. Man, man, alive we have. He finally ends up in this place called Shechem, and God says, You're going to have a lot of kids, and this is yours. There's the promise. The promise of land and the promise of descendants. That will become a great nation. What does Abraham do? Look at, uh, oh, I just saw a typo up there. Bummer. It should say 12.7b to 9. Sorry about that. 
Just notice that. It's funny how your eye misses that stuff. So, so listen, listen to what happens here. So the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So what does Abram do? So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Now, and, and sometimes you read that and you go like, why is he moving around? Do you ever wonder that? Like, what's the big deal? You know, why don't you settle in Shechem and stay there? Because he's got a lot of flocks. And you know, in the wintertime or in the summertime, you want to kind of be up in the area of Shechem because it's, it's hilly. It's more mountainous. There's going to be more for your flocks to graze on. In the wintertime, you can go down closer to the desert. And there your flocks can be eating and feasting. But you, 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 frankly, when you have that many people and that many flocks, you've got to move around. So he goes to a land that's not plush in the same spot everywhere. And he's always on the move. The life of faith is like that, isn't it? So he comes into Shechem. This is good. We'll stay here for now. Finally, God, this is where you want me. Great. But he's got to keep moving around because he's got all these flocks he's got to take care of. But you know what fascinates me? Twice in this passage, the Bible tells us that he builds altars. And there's debate on this. You see where it says, not, not on this part, it says the Canaanites are still in the land. In the land. That, anytime you read the word Canaanites in Genesis, it's always negative, always, always negative. So he goes to a land where there's opposition. And that oak where they go to, some scholars have actually even argued that that may represent a, a pagan shrine. And what, what Abram goes in to do is he goes in and he says, in the midst of a pagan culture, I'm going to push out worship to a false god. And I am building an altar right here to Jehovah God and to him alone. And he goes somewhere else and he builds another one. And the Bible says he calls on the name of the Lord. And sometimes that idea of calling is, pro, is, is, is translated proclaiming. You know what it tells me? It tells me Abraham's response to all of this great sacrifice, because it always costs you, is worship. He'll do it publicly. He'll do it privately. He'll do it verbally. But his whole life is, God, I adore you. I am devoted to you. I will depend upon you. I will pray to you. I will praise you. God, it's, it's all about you. I don't fully understand all this stuff. I don't have it together. Do, do any of us have it together? Do you have it together? I don't have it together. I'm giving up on having it together. You know, I'm, I'm on the downside of my life probably. You know, so you do the best you can, right? But what you do know is that you have God. And you push out everything else. And you say, God, I don't understand it all, but it's you. 
I love you. I praise you. I need you. And I want everybody around me to know it's you. Do you see? That's us. So what's this text telling us? And with this, I'll try to bring it to a close rather quickly. The operative word there is try. What would I say for us when you read this passage? Step out of your comfort zone and embrace God's gracious, sovereign design for your life. Although initial submission to God's plan is often a daunting prospect, wasn't it for him? Obey because of God's sure promises. If you're a typical congregation, actually you're an exceptional congregation, I'm just saying. Okay, you're not typical, sorry. But within a group this size, not everyone is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's just not the case. And I want you to know, when you look at the life of Abram, if you can't see that God can be trusted, if, if he could trust God with all of that, and you and I know so much more than Abram, don't we? We saw those promises fulfilled in the Old Testament. We saw Jesus Christ come. We understand he's the ultimate seed. We know so much more. How could you sit and read this scripture and hear the story of the gospel and you say, yeah, but I still have questions. You don't have half the questions Abram had. You know so much more. It's daunting. It will change your life. Your life will never be the same if you come to Christ. That's true. But leave and come. Jesus said again and again in the Gospels, leave your old lifestyle. Leave a life where it's all about you and what you think. Come to my son, Jesus Christ. Let him forgive you and let him be the Lord of your life. Oh, come, come. Why would you wait? You've known, you know so much more than Abram. I'm not saying it's not daunting. It is life-changing. But there's nothing like it. Although ongoing submission to God's plan is often a challenging experience, worship because of God's sure promises. You say, Doug, I've taken that step. I'm heading into Canaan. Think that's where God wants me to go? I'm still waiting for him to be a bit more explicit on things. I mean, I've got his word, and he constantly reaffirms to me who he is and what he's doing, so, so I've got that. But I still have things that don't make a lot of sense to me. Abraham had a wife that was barren with all these promises, and what I would tell you is God is faithful. God has made promises to you, and if you're in a situation where you say, I'm suffering physical loss, I'm suffering financial loss, I'm suffering relational loss, God is there. But I don't understand it. God is there. 
I don't know where it's going to end. God is there. And our response in the midst of that is, God, I worship you. And, and although I don't have this whole thing figured out, I will tell everybody I can around me that you are the only true God and Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior. And I will publicly and personally and privately bring my fears and my doubts and my questions and my uncertainties and everything back to you. And in the midst of it, praise you for what I do know and pray for the things I don't. And that is the life of faith. So where are you? Have you begun that journey? Have you trusted Christ? I implore you to come to Jesus. Are you on the journey? But you're frustrated, you're tired, you're uncertain. Come back to the sure promises of God. The things we know that are stable that will never change. And stake your life on it. And that won't necessarily change your circumstances. It will change you in the midst of those circumstances. And that makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your great wisdom, you have designed your word so that we can not only understand and know and be implored and wooed and called to come to you, but we have perspective and wisdom and hope and encouragement to persevere in our faith before a God who is trustworthy and faithful, even though his ways are often mysterious. Father, we rejoice that we know you. We don't always like the life of faith. It seems hard at times. We would like it to be a life of sight, but it's not. And we know that you use the life of faith to bring glory to your name and to transform us. So Father, through your spirit, continue your good work in our hearts that we would rest and worship a God who is all about blessing the world, who allows us to be part of that. Father, may we live the life of faith. For the just shall live by faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.